maybe forever. Hey, we've been slowly, slowly making our way through this letter to the Colossians. Letter from the Apostle Paul to a church that was learning to grow up in their faith. Because it's one thing to receive the gospel and get what the Bible calls born again. It's one thing to get born again. It's something else entirely to actually begin growing up so that you don't remain a spiritual newborn. And that, I think, is really the heartbeat behind Paul's letter to the Colossians. He has a lot of encouraging words for them, and and we've read a lot of those encouraging words. Last week, we kind of shifted a little bit into the very honest acknowledgement that part of growing up is is suffering, and there are difficulties that we face. And, And what do we do with that? What do we do with that if we're saying the gospel and the kingdom are these wonderful, wonderful things, but our reality is that there is suffering? What do we do with that? Specifically, Paul addressed, and we heard this last week, the suffering we face for the sake of the gospel. What I want to do today is pick up with those thoughts as as Paul picks up with those thoughts in the letter. He's going to talk about his desires for the church in Colossae. He's going to reference one of their sister congregations as well nearby. He's going to talk about what he wants for these these new believers, these born-again people uh, that, that, that he knows about. So let's read what he has to say. We are now finally in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. You know, there's something about the ancient church in Colossae that was receiving this letter. There's something that we historians and scholars and readers of the Bible have learned, and we've discovered that there's something that we know that we don't know. You know? Let me try and unpack that for you. There's something that we know that we don't know. What we know is, we we think that we know that there was some teaching going on in Colossae, some teaching about Jesus that was not accurate. We think we know that there was teaching that was infecting and impacting this church in Colossae that was bad teaching, not truthful, not accurate, not what Jesus had actually said. We, in, in present day, refer to it sometimes as the Colossian heresy. What we don't know is we don't know what the teaching was. We're pretty sure it was there. We just don't know specifically what it was. History has kind of lost that. And so we're left to speculate based largely on what Paul is saying as to what the heresy might have been. It's not really important what it might have been. We don't really need to know what it was. But there's this idea as we read the words that we read today that something 
is being said in Colossae that just ain't so. Something about Jesus is being said that is not accurate. So for our purposes, let's just bring this home. Let's try and make it relevant to us. Are there things that are taught about Jesus in the world today that are inaccurate? Are there things that are said about Jesus and about the Bible that we hear today that people claiming to be uh, authorities in the Christian faith will say, but then when we read our Bibles, well, that ain't so. Well, and I see you guys nodding already. I mean, very quickly, we could come up with some examples. Uh, I hear this one a lot. Jesus loved everyone and he accepted everyone. And what that means is we have to love and accept everyone just the way they are. Not so. That's not what the Bible says. How about this one? Jesus was a great, wise teacher, but he never actually intended anyone to think that he was God. Not so. Not so. How about this one? Jesus taught us that the best way to please God is to try your best to be a nice person and live a good life. Now, that, that's not what Jesus said. I came up with one more. Jesus, this, this maybe is the most prevalent one in, in the church today. Jesus gives us the keys to having a happy, fulfilling life. We hear that being said, and yet I would submit that's not at all what scripture says. If we brainstorm together long enough, if I let you guys talk here, and I'm not going to, uh, but if we did, I'll bet we could come up with a long list of things Things like what I've just said, things that are being said about Jesus today, but they just are opposed to what the Bible actually teaches us. And so we need to be careful about believing everything we hear people say about Jesus. Church, I've told you this before. You need to be careful about believing everything I say about Jesus. Your job is to go home and check my work. Your job is to go home and read your Bibles and make sure that what I've said is actually true. Because not every teacher is a good teacher, right? How many of you are thinking back to junior high school right now and going, not every teacher is a good teacher, right? We, we all have those teachers that uh, just didn't quite work for us. New believers and spiritual newborns are especially vulnerable to deception. And Paul knows that. Look, the words are still on the slide. He says, I am telling you this so that no one will deceive you. He's saying it's going to happen if you're not careful. If you just believe everything you hear, you're going to be deceived. So I want you to hear what, what, what you need to hear so that you don't get deceived. In other words, part of growing up is learning to realize that not Everything you hear is true. Not everything you hear is true. It's amazing what we end up believing as children. In most cases, simply because that's what somebody told us. How many of us believed at one point in our life that the moon was made of green cheese? You don't have to show your hands if you don't want to, but some of you have already raised them and now we know. How many of you believed at one point in your life that if you swallow a watermelon seed, it might grow in your belly? 
how many of you are still a little scared that that could actually happen? I had a friend in college who used to cut off the, the last half inch of her banana. She had a banana at breakfast every morning and she cut off the last half inch because she was sure that if she ate that little nubbin of a banana, it would grow in her tummy. College, 20 years old. How many of us have thought at one point or another that if you cross your eyes too much, they're going to get stuck that way, right? Some little boys have been told, eat the crust on your bread because it'll put hair on your chest. Yes, I only eat the crust on my bread. There's a lot of variations of this one, but uh, the noise of thunder. It's the angels bowling, isn't it? We have some different variations on this, but we get told a lot of things. Well, what is that noise, Mom? Don't worry. Don't be afraid. It's just the angels bowling. Here's one unique to, to me as far as I know. I spent much of the early years of my life believing that my grandfather, my, my mom's dad, was responsible for hanging the moon in the sky every night. He had a telescope, and when I was a toddler, I, I called him Boppy. I looked through that telescope, and I could see the moon, and somehow I got it in my mind that the moon was his personal property. I called it Boppy's moon. And I had this very intricate idea in my head that he had a cardboard box in the closet with a bunch of moons in them of all different shapes and sizes. And, and every evening he would go, it's kind of a waxing crescent kind of a night, don't you think? And he would pick up a moon and he could throw it as high as you can imagine and get it into the sky. And that's how he knew where to point his telescope so that we could all see Bobby's moon. When we're kids... We don't actually have evidence to support any of these beliefs. We just believe them because that's what we heard, right? And fortunately for us, most of these kinds of falsehoods don't really pose any threat to our healthy development. Eventually, we figure out that the moon doesn't belong to Boppy and it's not made of green cheese or, as I thought, cardboard. Anyhow, um, eventually we figure out that chest hair has no correlation to carbohydrate intake. Um, but the falsehoods that we hear as spiritual infants, they actually do have the potential to cause harm. They do have the potential to damage our, our process of maturity if we grow up and continue to believe them. Think about the ones we mentioned a few moments ago. Grow up believing that Jesus' love means that he accepts everyone just the way they are, and you will never be open to the power of the Holy Spirit to transform your life. Grow up believing that Jesus never intended us to believe that he was God and you will strip the gospel of its authority and you will render it no more than a self-help book and an outdated one at that. Grow up believing that Jesus showed us how to please God by, by just being nice, honest people and you'll miss out on the miracle of grace and the power of real faith. Grow up believing that Jesus' teachings are the keys to unlocking a, a happy, perfect life, and you will wither and you will fall from your faith the moment you encounter hardship. That's why Paul says he's working so hard. He doesn't want to see that happen. He's working hard for the Christians in Colossae. He's working hard for the Christians in Laodicea. He says, I'm working hard for the others, the Christians in other places. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. That meant he's working hard for the Christians in Downers Grove because he doesn't want them to be deceived by anyone. And 
We don't want to be deceived either. So let's heed three pieces of advice that Paul gives. Paul says that if you don't want to be deceived by bad information, well then, you had better stay motivated. You had better stay motivated. I remember as a, I think they call it tween now, you know, that age right before junior high, pre-adolescence. As a pre-adolescence, I read a book. Most of you guys have read similar books. It's the book that tells you about what it's like to grow up. It's the book that unlocks all the secrets about puberty and about adolescence and about the birds and some of the bees, right? It's that book. I I had that book as a pre-adolescent and it was talking about the physical changes we go through in puberty. And it had a piece of advice for kids who were late bloomers physically. It had a piece of advice for kids who looked around in their schools and felt like, you know, a lot of these kids look more grown up than I look. I don't look like I've grown up yet. I still look like a little kid. And the advice was this. It said, if that's how you feel about where you are in this process of physical maturity, don't be discouraged. Look at the world around you, but don't look at your peers. Look at the grown-ups. Look at the grown-ups. And as you do so, notice that none of them still look like little kids. The grown-ups all get grown up. Eventually, it happens to everyone. You might be a little bit behind your classmates at this point, but don't worry. No one's left behind forever. It just happens. Eventually, it just, it just happens. Here's the thing, though. In the spiritual realm... Growing up doesn't just happen. Unfortunately, some people get get born again, and then they remain spiritual babies the rest of their lives. As infants, they're prone to believing all sorts of nonsense and falsehoods and getting themselves all kinds of messed up. And that was the danger that the Colossians were facing. And that's why Paul says in verse 2, he says, I want them to be encouraged. I want them to be encouraged. Now, when he says encouraged, he's not saying, I want them to feel like they've done a good job. I want them to feel like it's going okay. I want them to look in the mirror and say, you know what? You're good enough. You're smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like you. No, that's not the kind of encouragement Paul's talking. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of the language here, but he uses a word that's much stronger than just that kind of encouragement. He uses a word that means urged. It means motivated. Actually, in the Greek language that Paul is writing, it's the very same word that the Bible uses to describe the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. You might know it. It's the word paraclete. He says it's the source of our energy. It's the source of our drive. It's the the metaphorical gasoline that fills our tank. Paul is saying, I want these new believers to keep on moving so that they don't end up believing some foolish lie about the gospel. You want to grow up strong in your faith? You want to develop any sort of strength or maturity in your faith? Do you want to avoid getting duped by lies and falsehoods? Then remember that spiritual strength and maturity doesn't just happen. You had better stay motivated. 
Not only that, Paul says to the Christians in Colossae, he says, you had better stay united. There's a, a magic trick that you've probably seen a hundred times, just like me. It's, it's my favorite magic trick. I enjoy it because it's kind of half magic and, and half a, a practical joke. It's also really the only magic trick that I think I can kind of do. Maybe you've seen it. It's the one where the, uh, the magician calls for a volunteer and brings a volunteer up in front of the crowd and says, I'm going to take this piece of paper. Maybe he has some other object and he says, I'm going to make it disappear. We're going to count to three and we're going to make it disappear. And he stands the volunteer in front of him and he, he holds the paper like this and he says, now I'm going, to, I'm going to just count to three. And we're going to say one, two, and then when I get down to three, the paper is going to disappear. And the volunteer stands, okay, okay, okay. And the magician says, I'm going to need everybody's help. So everybody count with me, okay? And on the count of three, this, this paper, see, it's in my hand, right? But it's going to disappear, okay? Everybody count with me. And he goes, one, two, three. <laughs> and the volunteer is left here, <gasps> utterly amazed. And everybody in the crowd laughs just like you did because they can see the joke, right? Here's the point. It's relatively easy to deceive a single individual, but it's a lot harder to deceive the whole crowd. It's a lot harder to deceive the entire community. And so look at what Paul's desire for the church is that he's trying to help. Look at, look at what he says. We're still in verse two. We're going to be in verse two all day. He says, I want them to be knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to be knit together by strong ties of love. Now, remember the context here. He's not saying that these are nice things that I'd like them to have because I think they'll feel better and it'll just be nicer. He's not saying I want them to get together and hold hands and sing Kumbaya and then there could be a whole lot of hugging and everybody would just feel good about that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying I want them to be knit together because that is a survival mechanism and they're going to need it. Being knit together in love is what's going to keep you guys from getting deceived. In other words, if you stick together, you're going to be a lot tougher to fool. But if you allow yourself to be divided, the enemy is going to find it very easy to knock you off one by one. We are living through an era in the here and now, in the today, in the 2021, almost 2022, where I believe the American church, the contemporary church is more divided than it has ever been. In many cases, that division is driven by our different beliefs about things that should be secondary to the gospel. In my opinion, in my experience, in my observation, many Christians today find it difficult to worship in a community of people who voted differently from them in the last election. They find it, different, they find it difficult to vote in a community of people who believe something different about masks or about vaccines. And there's division because of it. Being honest, I'm sad to say that HRCC has not been immune to that kind of division. In the last two years, there are people from this church, members of this church that we have lost specifically because I didn't lend public support to the candidate that they thought I should have supported. 
There are people who have left fellowship with this body specifically because somebody found out that I I wouldn't rebuke another member because of something they said about abortion or something they said about George Floyd. There are people that have left this church specifically because the leaders here chose to submit to the government's guidelines about wearing masks. And so my honest assessment as a pastor, I love my church, but we are less knit together today than we used to be because of issues like these. And it's to our detriment. It's to our detriment. Now, of course, let me be quick to say this. Not every person who leaves a church does so poorly. It's not always wrong. It's certainly not always a sign of some great deep division or spiritual concern. It's not always the work of the enemy. But too many times, decisions like what I've described come from an unhealthy sense that I know what's best and all those other guys are just plain wrong. I know what God really thinks, and everybody else is just mindlessly following the flock. And so today, in what I think really is the golden age of the conspiracy theory, in a culture where people seem to be inherently suspicious of groupthink, I think it's worth reminding ourselves that in the Bible's greatest metaphor for salvation, Jesus is the good shepherd who saves the sheep so that they can become a part of the flock. Never once does the good shepherd pull an individual sheep aside and say, you know what? You've got it right. Everybody else is wrong. Never once does the good shepherd say to a sheep, I know that you get it, but the rest of the flock has been brainwashed. Never once. No, he gathers us in a flock. And then he tells us that it's our position in the flock that's going to keep us safe from the enemy. Want to be safe from deception? Then you had better stay united. The last thing we need to bear in mind is, I think perhaps the most important. And Paul says that if you want to avoid deception, you had better stay informed. I think there's two groups of people that I'd like to address here. The first is those who maybe have not yet made that decision to submit their lives to Jesus. And maybe that's because you don't feel like you have a good grasp on everything that that means. You don't fully understand what what Christians are talking about. If that's you, you need to hear me say this, that no one has ever, ever become a believer in Jesus because they figured everything out. Would all the believers in Jesus in the room please say amen? Amen. None of us have ever come to faith because we first figured it all out. We all come to Christ with more questions than answers. And maybe if you're on the outside looking in, trying to figure out what we think we figured out, you need to hear us say, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. We came with more questions than answers. But there's another group of people that I, I, I think I want to address today. And it's, this is for those who have already made their decision for Christ. You need to hear me say what I believe the word of God is saying 
is that it's not okay to just become comfortable in the not knowing or comfortable in the not understanding. We need to grow not only in our faith, but also in our knowledge and in our understanding. Think of it this way. No baby is born with a knowledge of where babies come from. Isn't that amazing? Like, we got, we got Liam here. You know, Marlo's at home with Carmen. We got Savannah over here. No new baby is born with the knowledge or understanding of where babies come from. They don't know that. Isn't that ironic? I mean, did you ever think about that? Maybe I'm overthinking this, but I feel like that's ironic. They were just the focus of the entire miraculous process of the beginning of life, and they have no idea. No understanding of how that all happened. But here's the thing is they grow up, they had better learn. They had better get informed because every healthy, mature adult needs the understanding of how life works. It's the same way in our spiritual maturity. It is okay to be born in ignorance. It's more than okay, it's kind of how it works. It's okay to be born in ignorance. It's okay to get born again, not having the foggiest idea of what the Lord just did in my life. Do we remember the words of the blind man healed by Jesus who said, look, you guys are asking me a bunch of questions and I don't know how to answer a one of them, but this one thing I do know. I used to be blind and now I see. That's all I got for you today. That's all I got for you. I don't understand one solitary thing I just know I'm different. It's okay to be that guy. It's okay to be that guy. But over time, you need to be able to understand more. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you need to be able to understand more. That's what growing up requires. Look at how Paul says it in verse two. He says, I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan. Let's just be honest. How many of us are a little intimidated by that line? (laughs) I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan. Gee, Paul, would you mind setting the bar a little higher? I want these brand new baby believers in these glorious new churches that are springing up throughout the province of Asia. I know they're babies now, but eventually I want them to have complete confidence that they understand this mysterious thing that we call salvation. They got to figure it out. I want them to know how it works. Folks, we need to know how it works. Eventually, we need to be able to understand and articulate what it means to be saved. You need to know the gospel at least well enough to be able to explain it. And I'm not saying you need to know it well enough to explain it because it's your job to go out and explain it to other people and we're all called to be evangelists and we should be you know, spreading our faith and sharing the good news and so on and so on and so on. That is true, but that's not what I'm talking about here. We need to know the gospel well enough to explain it because we need to be able to explain it to ourselves. You got to know what you believe. We need to be able to explain it to ourselves. Because there's plenty of things that you're going to hear throughout your life about Jesus, about salvation, 
about the Bible, about your faith, about God's plan, about everything else. And a good portion of it just isn't true. We can't afford to be deceived. We need to start growing up in our faith. And that means we need to stay motivated. It means we need to stay united. And it means we need to stay informed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your reminder that it's okay. It's really okay for us to say, I don't get it. I don't get it. But Lord, that doesn't mean we stop. It doesn't mean we stop striving. It doesn't mean we stop eating. It doesn't mean we stop growing. Lord, I pray that your people gathered here, I pray, Lord, these these three specific anointings over us. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint us such that we would remain ever motivated. God, we wake up some days with more energy than others. You know, some days, and Jesus, you know exactly what we're talking about. Some days you got up and you walked half over creation, sharing the gospel with everybody. And some days you woke up and you went to a solitary place and you rested and you prayed. I know you know what we're talking about. It's okay to do that. But Lord, let it never be said of us that we lost our hunger for the faith. Let it never be said of us that we lost our urge, our motivation, our encouragement for that drive forward into the life that you've called us to. Let that never be said of us. Father, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would just anoint this people, that we would never lose sight of that. Secondly, Lord, I pray for a supernatural, divine anointing of unity over this body. Unity over this body. Father, we don't presume to pray that prayer because we think we need to be the biggest church in the country or the most influential in American culture. Lord, this is not self-aggrandizing. But Lord, the people that are sitting in the chairs in this place today are precious to us because they are precious to you. And we recognize that when we lose our, our, our sense of unity, we become easy targets for the enemy. Father, in many of our hearts and our minds right now, our brothers and sisters, maybe from this congregation, maybe from other places that we've known, that we've seen just kind of wander off on their own through the years. Father, we pray. We pray for them right now. We lift them up to you right now. We pray, Lord, that your watchful eye would be upon them and that your hand would be upon them. But Lord, we believe that biblically speaking, the means of restoration that you have is that they would be restored to fellowship with the body of Christ. We need to be in unity. Father, help us to major on the majors and minor on the minors. It is okay to worship in a community of people that love Jesus with all their hearts but might have a different opinion about something that they saw on the news. It is okay to worship in a community of people that are changed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that are being shaped and formed daily into the very image of Christ. 
but maybe they feel a different way than I feel about some other thing. It's okay. Help us to major on the majors and minor on the minors. And Father, I know that you didn't call this group of people together so that we could all earn our PhDs. I know that you didn't say, well, that, folk, that, that, that group in Downers Grove, they're the smartest Christians in all the land. I don't know, that's not your purpose. But Lord, we want to never stop learning. Boy, we came to faith, we didn't know one solitary thing. We were like those little babies. They were like, I don't know what life is, but I'm doing it. But God, we aren't those babies anymore. We aren't those babies anymore. There's things that we need to be able to understand if if we're going to grow up, if we're going to perpetuate this kingdom. There's things that we need to be able to know. Lord, I pray that our understanding of, of doctrine would just be solid. So that when the lies come, we laugh. And say, that's not what God's word says. Take that weak stuff out of here. We know something better. We know someone better. Lord, we don't want to be deceived. We want to grow strong. We want to be faithful. And we want to be all, Lord, that you would have us to be in your kingdom, for your purpose, and in your name, we ask it. And everybody says, amen, amen.